Welcome to Joshua, the world's mayor. I'm so excited to have you guys here today. Um, today's broadcast is actually going to, part of it will take place in a shadow prison. Uh, we've had Daniel on before. Uh, actually, I've had Daniel on twice. Uh, one time, just him. The other time, uh, his mother joined us. And if you ever saw a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund, my old show, uh, you can hear both of those interviews. And so long story short, Daniel is a convicted sex offender and uh, he's admitted his crime. And mind you, and when we think of sex crimes, we think of, uh, I, I, at least I know what I think of, and it's not real pleasant. It's not nice. It's not kind. It's disturbing. And frankly, well, it's hard to digest, uh, especially as somebody that has been molested and has a, a past history with sexual deviancy, deviancy and other things. Um, so the first two interviews that we did were really hard uh, to get through because it stirred up a lot of emotions inside of me. And, uh, you know, so we've maintained contact since those original interviews and I've gotten to know him quite well. I got to tell you, Daniel has his heart for God is something that's pretty special in itself. Um, and I believe with everything in me that he has been rehabilitated. Uh, and again, I'll let him talk about, you know, his situation more. I, I, I <laughs> this is just not easy to get through. Um, because every time I talk to him, it's a reminder of the things that happened to me. And at the same time, I'm not mad at him. I like him. I love Daniel. And, uh, you know, and I want to help him. And, you know, the, we have another friend that actually came from this same prison here in Minnesota. And, um, you know, he got out and he has been trying to rehabilitate his name and save his name and rescue his name. And, you know, he has been an advocate for shutting down these shadow prisons that are disguised as a hospital. Uh, there's been some real horror stories. And again, I don't want to, you know, go over and regurgitate everything. And he should be calling at any time. That's why I keep looking at my phone because obviously we can't do video. Um, so they're going to call and we're going to do 15 minute segments. But <clears throat> one of our other friends, Tom, uh, who's been on the program, you know, he was falsely accused. So anyway, long story short, there's a lot of people that are locked in these prisons around the world. We may have another guest in Australia too join, who's a, I believe in a prison similar to Daniel. So what we're going to find out today is what's going on, because Hello. evidently some of the craziness that's gone on and some of the trouble is all getting exposed. In other words, justice is going to be served, but we'll find out more. So here we go. Thank you for using GTL. We are live, Daniel. How are you, sir? Good. How are you, Mr. Bergman? Uh, I'm good, man. I'm good. Well, uh, it's good to have you back and good to hear your voice again. Yeah, same here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So, this the opportunity is yours to share your heart, share what's going on. Um, you know, I've asked you all the questions that 
you know, I needed to ask you in our conversation. So I, I know there's been a lot of things happening there behind the scenes. And so I really, because I know the time is limited, I just want you to share what's going on and what's on your heart. Ha, <laughs> Oh, it makes perfect sense. That's kind of an old term, but I'm using it because um, people have kind of 
Danville prison to Minnesota. So the, the layout of the prison, the, the, complex, the complex itself, the building I live in, is literally a prison. Jeez. So the difference is they claim that we're mentally ill. And they get away with a lot by doing that, such a subjective field. So that's a little bit of background. Um, where they messed up here is they locked up a couple of people they're a little smarter than your average person. Uh, <laughs> I'm just being honest. A lot of the guys, they got them when they were juveniles. And they're now in their 60s, in some cases, or 50s. And those guys have never used the internet, have never used a cell phone. They, there's no cable here, so we don't have a lot of information uh, to the outside world. Our phones are screened. We don't have the internet. We're blocked off from the outside world. And the outside world is blocked off from us. Um, they got a little uh, hasty, and they decided to start locking up middle-aged, educated men who know the power of the internet and know the law and know what true mental illness is. That's where they screwed up. What? Wait a second. You? I thought you said you don't have internet. So how are they able to use the internet? Well, you just said that they were educated, they know how to use the internet. So how is that serving them when they're behind bars? No, uh, I used the internet before I got locked up, before I got here. So okay. I have an, I have, I'm familiar with the internet. Okay. And I, I can't use it now. You know, I'm, I'm in the facility. So I've used it in the past. I say that to say I have... I know of resources, and I'm familiar with resources that ah, the population okay. is not familiar with. Thank so you. I have a way of, you know, I, I can get on, I, I can um, vicariously, you know, through others, third party, I can use some of these resources that other guys don't have a clue about. Understood. So I'm able to kind of get the word out. So a lot of these guys, they've been, they've been sounding the alarm for years. They've just been doing it in a Stone Age kind of way. And, a lot of, you know, through the mail or, or different ways they can easily be intercepted by the staff that work here. And the public, just no transparency, the public has not a clue what's going on in these mental health facilities. And it's not just this one. You look at places like, Russell and I were just talking about this, it's kind of fresh on my mind. You look at places like North Korea and Russia, and those two, and China, we use China to these three countries have one big thing in common when I think about them in my mind's eye, and that is the secrecy. They're secret for a reason. They have policies in their own state, in their own country, that forbid the use of the internet and don't let journalists in. That's for a reason. That the reason they do that is they can abuse their citizens. That's a big reason for doing it. Hmm. And we're seeing that with the, the war in Ukraine. There's a lot of um, attempts by the Russian government to, to withhold information. and That's a whole different thing, but... I think everybody knows that secrets are a place of breeding ground for abuse and maltreatment. It's true. And mental health institutions are ground zero for that in the United States. Um, Paris Hilton has kind of touched on this in juvenile facilities, and I think it's great that she's doing it. I haven't seen a ton of effort on her part, but, but I've seen a little bit, and I hope I see more because this isn't just about this facility. I, I would really like to help trigger a conversation about mental health facilities in the country because there's this huge hunt of 
insight on a mindset that's happening. Once you get a guy behind bars, uh, whether it's prison or, or a, a mental health facility, the public just kind of forgets. It doesn't really think about what's going on. But people need to realize their tax money is paying for this. So if you're going to house somebody for the rest of their life in a mental health facility, my biggest concern is that it, at least find out if that person is actually mentally ill. I think that's a small ask. <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot. That is absolutely a lot. And you were talking about mental health. (laughs) I think it it sounds like it's safer uh, in there for your mental health than it is out here lately. But you're shielded from all the psyops going on right now. But nonetheless, I don't think I want to be in a, a secret prison either. So my goodness, man. So what else is going on there right now? Because I know that you've been in the trenches fighting the fight to make some changes to yeah. all this. Yeah, we, we really have. And, oh, it's overwhelming. Uh, there's so many things we've done in the last uh, two or three years. But we did a lot of protesting last year, and we're starting to see the fruit of that this year. Um, one of our biggest uh, accomplishments recently was we organized and prepared a workshop uh, in North Carolina from in here.
that was a great accomplishment for us. Um, it helped bring in some new people, um, in particular one guy from the Netherlands who saw the whole thing online. We're in communication with him right now. We're hoping to bring national attention, international attention to the issue of preventive detention in the United States. So that's still um, in the works. We've had a few conversations with this gentleman, and it sounds promising. He's a motivated person, very intelligent. So I hope that something good can come out of that. Um, For sure. But the, probably the biggest excitement we've had so far right now is on July 1st, the Department of Justice filed an amicus jury brief on our behalf in a major lawsuit that's been going on for over 10 years. This lawsuit's been kicked back and forth between the 8th Circuit, Missouri, and the District Court in Minneapolis, or excuse me, St. Paul. And long story short, for those people that don't really follow the legal jargon much, the, the short of it is the Department of Justice is defending our due process rights to make sure that we have a fair shake in this case. You have one minute remaining. You want me to call back? Yeah, sounds good, man. All right, bye. We'll be right back after this.